Let's go to scriptures. We're going to talk about, actually, uh, you guys don't have the bulletin, right? The, the, the title of the, of the message today is The Beauty of Holy Sex, okay? So I said we're going to talk about an important subject today. We are looking at revelations and understanding and look, growing in our understanding of what does it mean to be a part of the resurrection kingdom. And last week, we talked about a very important subject, that is the subject of pleasure. We talked about pleasure and how does the Bible look at pleasure and how, does those, how do those who are in the kingdom of God approach pleasure. That pleasure is not something bad, but that our desire for it can be misplaced such that we think this is the thing. But really, it is God and out of Him, pleasures find their deepest ends. And so today we're going to talk about that with applied to probably the most dis, uh, you know, disordered pleasure in our society, and that is that of sex. So please turn to Revelation chapter 17. And hope these are passages that are becoming, I mean, you know, I'm picking out certain passages for you. There's just so much in the book of Revelation. Um, it is a difficult book, but I don't think it's actually super difficult to understand once you can see what are the crucial aspects of it. But um, we're looking at Revelation chapter 17, 1 through 5, and then we're going to go to the passage, which I hope is becoming very familiar to chapter 21, and we'll look at 1 through 5 of that chapter as well. Revelation 17, 1 through 5, this is the Word of God. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes, and of earth's abominations. Wow, that's, a, that's Revelation 17. Turn to chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, but the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy 
and true. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let me, let me pray for today's message. I know it may not seem entirely obvious, but within these words, you have a profound picture of the meaning of sex, Lord. And I pray that I would preach what is true from your scriptures faithfully. And Lord, anything and everything that is from you that we would retain, we would remember, it would, it would, this word would go into our hearts and bear fruit, tremendous fruit of righteousness and beauty and holiness in our lives drawing people to yourself. If it's just my nonsense and my foolishness, I pray that the people would forget this, but all that is from you, may they retain for the glory of your name, for the flourishing of your people, of your city in the midst of the city of Babylon here in San Jose. I pray, Lord, your name will be glorified in us today. In Jesus' name. Come on, guys. We're going to talk about sex today. All right? Um, this is so uptight, all right? This is church. This is church. We can't talk about sex, all right? I'm going to approach this in three points. Today, I'm going to talk about the problem. First, the problem of sex and disordered desire. And then two, I'm going to talk about the meaning and the importance of sex. The meaning of sex, as is taught by the Bible, and its importance. And then I'm going to talk about the transforming power of Christ. Through holy sex. All right? Holy sex. Can you believe that? Um, first, let me talk about the problem of sex and disordered desire. Now, in our society, there tends to be two primary approaches towards sex. All right? One is, it is the over-desire of sex apart from God. All right? It is the over-desire of sex for sex apart from God. Now, sex is an absolutely glorious thing and it has incredibly powerful it is very very powerful in its attraction but it is also very powerful in its effects and so in our society where people tend to see sex as primarily about physical pleasure it doesn't have anything to do with god does anything to do with eternity and there's and what does the bible have to say with it and so many people in our society tend to think that the primary problem with christians is that they have a problem with pleasure and that they are afraid of sex, and they are overly uptight and very judgmental when it comes to sex. And so they don't think that there's anything that has to be in the Bible except that there are all these, these overly uptight people, pastors and priests and so forth, who have restrictive rules about this. And then, but it's a, it's a very pleasurable thing. It's a very fun thing. And so we give ourselves to this freely and gladly and easily, and it works for us, Right? Well, it doesn't. <laughs> and so many people in our society think that we can just do this, and who is anybody to say and otherwise? But look around us. <laughs> look at our society. That what, what most societies throughout history have understood as this desire, as this pleasure of sex is so powerful that within this there are dangers, as dangers to actually be destructive is destruct, destructive in our lives and in our society. And actually, <laughs> that is exactly what's going on. Right? Now, this is not mean to say, and we're going to get to, at this a little bit later on, in, in, in the, that when the people who believe that sex is a beautiful thing and that it is a wonderful thing and that we ought to enjoy it, 
The people who believe that, they are right. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment, all right? But that they, that they don't understand that this desire for sex can become overwrought, that it can become addictive, it can become enslaving, it can go in places where it doesn't belong, and then it can actually destroy people's hearts, their emotions, and their relationships. And so this, I mean, it's just, I don't know if I have to, I don't want to belabor this point, but in our society, you know, you, all you have to do is watch any TV show. There's lots of, you know, crime drama TV shows. My wife loves, loves all these crime dramas. Almost every other episode is about somebody who cheated on somebody else, and then that other person decided to murder the person that cheated on them or murder on the person they cheated on them with. This is happening in our society. There are people who have been cheated on. This is even before marriage. Right? And then it, it destroys them emotionally. It destroys them and makes them depressed. It makes them incredibly fearful for them to be able to give themselves to somebody else. This is going on in all kinds of societies, throughout our society. And, of course, there's many people who are caught up in, in sexual and loose living and then in pornography, and it's making, them, it's making them unable to emotionally, deeply give themselves to someone else. It's really making them dysfunctional human beings. So... This thing, it's, it's, it's been uncorked in our society. It's the thing that every other society has known. This is dangerous. That is why we have to put rules on this thing. We, we have to get really serious about this. Our society seems to have forgotten. And, and it's just everywhere. It's used to manipulate you. All, half the commercials, maybe, not, maybe half, I don't know, maybe half the commercials, if not half, a lot of the commercials that you see on TV and the advertisements are used to manipulate you to buy products that you do not need. This is how powerful this is. So that's just one attitude, right? And one serious problem, the over-desire of sex and all the problems that flow from it. Yet, its fundamental issue is, its fundamental view that sex is good is correct. But this leads to really the enslavement, the worship of sex. The second issue... And that is the fear of sex. The fear of sex. Sex is primarily bad. It is mostly dangerous. And it is probably dirty. Maybe, yes, there's some fun in it, but don't, don't enjoy it too much, okay? And you guys know people who think like that. Maybe you think like that. And especially people who grew up in socially conservative, in socially conservative society. And that is, of course, the church. The church tends to be socially conservative. And then all the virtues about being socially conservative tends to also put an emotion and a feeling and an attitude into the hearts of the people in, the, in that group. And the church tends to be more on that side. And then, so it is odd, the church is here to proclaim the Bible. But let me tell you, the Bible does not have this view that sex is dirty, does not have this view that sex is bad, it does say that sex is dangerous. It can be dangerous. But mostly, it, does not, it doesn't say to be fearful of it. And there's lots of people in the church, and I think a lot of Christians are guilty of this, and of course, not just only Christians, people in socially conservative settings. So there's lots of cultures that have this view that is largely negative on sex. This is also wrong. Okay? This is also wrong. So when we have... One error, notice, we have one error. 
It's enslaved, and we're going to embrace this thing like we, you know, with tomorrow with no limits, no nothing. That's one error. And then you have another error. Of course, this is the way human beings are. We fall off the horse on one side, and then we don't know how to have balance, and we fall off the horse on the other side. Then we have a whole other set of people who go, no, 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 we, we can't do this. Okay? It's no, most, mostly no, no, no. But let me tell you that there's a third view, and this is it's moving toward the second portion of my sermon. The third view is that the Bible actually has the highest view of sex there is. It's higher than any other, it's higher than any other religion, any other theological perspective, in that the history of the world, you know which book has the highest view of sex? It's actually this one right here. God's book. The Bible. And you know, before I, I move to the meaning of sex from the scriptures, you know, I, I just want to show you this short little story. Um, I gave a sermon at our, at our previous church. I, 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 got, I got to give a sermon there, and even though I wasn't on, on pastoral staff, I got to give a guest preaching stint. And um, I told this little story <laughs> of, of a couple. Of a, it was a young couple when I was a very young pastor that I got to do marital counseling, and they had just gotten married, and their marriage was terrible. Okay? Their marriage was in bad shape, and the wife looked at me and said, Pastor, do we have to have sex? <laughs> do we have to have sex? And because she, you know, she and her husband weren't getting along, and she was mad at him, and she even said, he's not even any good at it. And she had had sex before he had gotten married, and he was a virgin. And you know, he had actually done it the right way, and she had done it the wrong way, and she was complaining about him. And I looked straight at her, and I said, yes, you do. <laughs> It, and then it was interesting. I looked at him, and he said, "He said, um, he said, it's okay. We don't have to do it." I looked at him. And I said, "No, you do." <laughs> I go according to the Bible. Yes, you do. And then I and I and I told this little story, and I and I preached this to a very mixed audience. It was, a, it was from young to old. And I said, before marriage, actually, the Bible says no, no, no. But after marriage, it actually is yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right? The Bible has a very high view of this. And, you know, um, I gave the sermon, and a few weeks later, um, we had these young teenagers who were doing babysitting for our, our, our small group. And one of the teenagers, I think she was in eighth or ninth grade at the time, she was talking to me. She was like saying, oh, yeah, the, the other youth kids were talking about your sermon. She goes, I still remember what you said. And I said, well, uh, what's that? And she goes, before marriage, no, no, no. <laughs> but after marriage, yes, yes, yes. And I just, I, I looked at her, and I was thinking, that's what you remember from the sermon, huh? <laughs> I'm thinking, that's good. All right, good. That's a good takeaway. <laughs> that's a good takeaway because that's, that's probably in a good nutshell, at least the practical. Okay, that's the practical ramifications. But let's talk about the theological. Now, look, I read a very, couple of very profound passages to you. The meaning of sex. Now, Actually, Revelation chapter 17, when it talks about the city of man, it describes her, it describes this, the city of Babylon as a prostitute. Now, when the Bible describes a city, as, I've, as you've, if you've been following this sermon series, it's not talking fundamentally about sexual sin, but it clearly, obviously, is saying that if sex is dis, uh, displaced, that that is a deep, sinful, and, and, and terrible de depiction of the way human beings approach it. And that's what Revelation 17 is talking about. But let me show you something out of Revelation chapter 21. Let's please go there. This may be a little surprise to you, but Revelation 21 actually has a theology of sex. 
That's what it actually has. Revelation 21. It's another place in the Bible too, but I want you to see this. It's particularly pointedly here. In chapter 21, it says in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, that is the people of God, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So what are we talking about? Their marriage. There's a bride adorned for her husband. And it says in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man now through the new Jerusalem, through the bride. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now let me break this down for you. He will, um, he will, they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. You know what that is? That's marital language. That's covenantal vows. There's a people. There's a God. God will unite themselves to him. They will be his people and he will be their God. You know what that sounds just like marriage? You know why it sounds just like marriage? Because it is like marriage. She will be his wife. He will be her husband. He will be the bridegroom. She is the bride. And they give themselves toward each other. It's a, it's a covenant vow language. That's exactly what this, is, this verse is. But then look what it says right before them. He will dwell with them. He will dwell in them. He will dwell among them. But them is who? The bride. <laughs> who is the bridegroom? It is the Lord. Who is the bride? It is the church. It is the city of God. It is the people. But there's a bride. The bride is feminine. Who is the masculine? God. God will dwell in her. You know what that is? It's actually a picture of sex. That's what it is. This set of verses is actually telling you the Bible's understanding of sex. And that the Bible's understanding of sex has something to do with who is God and how he will be in and among his people. Really, what it's ultimately saying is that God will give himself. He will give himself, the totality of himself, and place himself in his bride so that he will go into her and dwell among her, and be in her, be with her forever. That's what it says. That's the picture. of. That is what the verse is saying. And this is the great drama of all of history, but it's also the very meaning of sex. So now, you're like, okay, wow, that's, that's a huge and wild and weird idea. So that, you know, theologians have actually talked about the union with Christ. Christ who is God that the church would be united to her Savior, united to her King, united to the Bridegroom. So then what does it mean for us? So that when God invented marriage, when God invented marriage, when God invented marriage, He did not primarily have a man and a woman in mind. He actually had primarily Himself and His bride in mind. But then he invented human beings. Human beings are made in his image and 
to image this reality. This is one of the ways that we are made to image his reality. And one of the ways that we are made to image is not just you, I'm, I'm supposed to be like God, but that when it comes into the way we do relationships, the way we do relationships is the way that God ultimately ordained it to be, that he, the way he is making all of history come out to be, this is the picture. Okay? So let me put it this way. What is sex for human beings? Because this is how God is. It is the self-giving of yourself right, to, into the soul of the other. God is God. We are people. He gave himself to the other. He models this according to male and female. The male gives himself to the other who is female. It is the self-giving of oneself into the soul of the other so that there would be deep oneness and union. That's the meaning. Let me say that one more time. It is the self-giving of yourself into the soul of the other unto union and oneness. This signifies a deep oneness of hearts, not just a body. Sex is not just to be the union of physical bodies. Of course, that's obvious. Okay, come in, you know, there's a certain physical plumbing here, and I won't get into the details, but you guys all know. You guys know the birds and the bees, right? How one part fits into the other, right? Everybody knows that physically they meet. But actually, what the Bible is saying is it is intended so that your hearts will intertwine into a deep form of holy love. And so it is not just for physical bodily pleasure, but it's actually so that your soul, your heart, would taste a deep and profound pleasure from God. Ordained from God, and that's given to you through your husband or wife. Therefore, this is why in, the, in, in Genesis, in Genesis, if you, if you look at Genesis, in the early chapters of Genesis, it says, God made Adam, and then out of him he made Eve, and then they, and then he married them. He's like, okay, I, I, I gave you, I gave you from her, and then he brought them together, and then it says a very important thing, that Adam and Eve were naked, but they were not ashamed. They were naked, but not ashamed. And you know what that is? That is what marriage is supposed to be. But you know where that is actually. Actuated, where that actually comes into reality, that comes into reality in sex. <laughs> That's why human beings have always talked about marriage. Marriage gets consummated in sexual intercourse. And where are you totally naked <laughs> with your spouse? Well, <laughs> when you make love to them, when you make love to this uh, to your spouse. And so Adam and Eve were utterly naked with each other. But you know what that verse is just saying? It's not just talking about the physical nakedness of Adam and Eve with each other. Before there was sin, they were not only physically naked with each other, but you know what it's also saying? That they were wholly and totally soul naked with each other. Their hearts were utterly uncovered. Their soul and their inner persons, and it was expressed that physically they would be utterly naked with each other. And then they could unite together with no shame and no barriers, and they can find incredible joy. Because God had given themselves for each other given one for the other. 
That is what sex is for. And that's why it has to be in marriage. Now from this, from this, what I'd like to do, right? What I'd like to do now is to just give you quickly, I hope this isn't boring to you, okay? What I'd like to give you is a bunch of, I have six implications, and let me go through this quickly. Six implications for the importance of marriage. I mean, the importance of marriage and then the particularly importance of sex in our society and the way it should come out. If you are a citizen of the New Jerusalem, this is, this is kind of the way it plays out. This is how we look at sex. Not the prudish, not the prudish and fearful way of just merely conservative people and not, not the, you know, the kind of the libertine and, uh, and, and loose way of, of, of socially liberal people, but this third way. And the implications look something like this. So number one, implication number one, it is not merely for selfish pleasure, but it is actually to give of yourself. Not just give of yourself. You know what you're actually giving? You're giving you. You're actually giving your soul. This is another tr- big reason why you're not supposed to have sex with somebody you're not married to. You're only supposed to give your soul to one person. And you give your soul for your whole of your life. You're giving your person, not just your body. In our society, we think it's about physical pleasure. So really what we do is if I can have sex with somebody else, then I use that person for me. (laughs) But actually what you're really doing is you're giving yourself to that person. And this is going to happen. You know, you think you can withhold yourself. It's like, I don't have to give myself. I'm just, I'm not going to do this until I get married. No, 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 that's the way it works. <laughs> and all the people who have had sex with other people besides, they deep down know that this that didn't work out. Right? And I know that some of you may have made mistakes in this area already. And the Lord can forgive you, wash you, and redeem you in this. But yes, you have, you have done damage to your soul, right? You have done damage to probably to another person's soul if you have made mistakes in this regard. And I know many, many of us have. Right? And I'm not trying to you know, draw condemnation on you today. I know you, you may feel this, but this is implication number one, that really, ultimately, that marriage is here in this vehicle to do this profound thing where you're giving yourself. Right? That's point number one. Number two, it is not only for procreation. Everybody knows that when you have sex, hey, baby might come along a certain number of months later, right? And, you know, we talk about, uh, about uh, you know, our society thinks we could so much try to control this. And I think we're realizing we, we don't get to control this, okay? Uh, but let me tell you, the, the Catholics are wrong, <laughs> okay? The Catholics are wrong. Everybody knows that, of course, Sex is unto procreation. They're not wrong about that, but the Catholics seem to think that this is the primary, the main reason for sex. They're wrong, right? Actually, the fundamental reason for sex is what I just told you out of Revelation chapter 21. It's actually the reenactment of the beautiful love that God has for his bride that they will enjoy, that we will all enjoy because we're, we're actually, I know this sounds strange, we are feminine to the Lord, right? that we are made to be vessels to receive himself to come into us. And that's what it's going to be like forever. That 
Sex is fundamentally and primarily for that, a reenactment of heavenly bliss, of deep intimacy between the husband and the wife. That's actually its first and primary purpose. And then secondarily, God says, out of this is life. (laughs) Joy, blessing, love, union, covenant, heaven, all of this is where life comes from. And then that's why babies should come out of that. That's why babies should come out of that. Human beings are birthed out of heavenly, covenant, beautiful, soul-entwined, heart-entwined, utterly naked, utterly unashamed, beautiful love. That's the way it's supposed to be. But that is actually the fruit of the love. The primary purpose is this. It's this deep union. So I'm, I'm going to say right now the Catholics are wrong. This is this traditional Catholic teaching, right? But I, I, they're not, they, don't read, they haven't read the Bible properly, right? They are wrong on this point. They are right that, of course, we are to celebrate babies. And that, this, and that it's, it is for babies. But it, they're wrong when they think this is the fundamental primary purpose, okay? Number three. Number one, not for selfish pleasure, but for, um, for self-giving. Number two, not only for procreation. Number three, Sex involves the totality of the person, right? Now you go, that seems to click with number one. That's good. You're a really smart person if you can pick that up from number one, but I'm making it very explicit. Sex involves the totality of the person. It is the total giving of the self for the total blessing of the other. You can't just give your body. You give your soul. But you know what? What, I know some of you guys are single, and so you guys don't have to get to practice. So you can, you can learn about this, and then you're going to go, oh, this is what I'm, I'm going to be prepared for, right? Well, I can look forward to. And some of the people who are married, you may not be practicing this. But when you have sex, you're not just saying, oh, I just got to do this because, you know, my husband wants me to do this, <laughs> right? Or, you know, my wife is feeling lonely tonight, and I have to comfort her, so, you know, I, 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 you know we should just do this. I don't think too many guys feel that way, but that probably happens sometimes, right? That it's, but no, if you're doing that, you're already not having sex the way God intended it. Every single time, you're actually, God actually entire desires the total giving of yourself for the total blessing of the other person. Physical, emotional, soul, all the way down, all the way in. Right? That's implication number three. Right? Total, to, involves the totality of the person. Number four. The importance of touch and presence and attention. The importance of your of touch and of your phys, of your actual attention to the other person and of your full presence to the other person. You know what I'm saying. One of the ways that prostitutes can do what they do is because they shut off their mind. They'll say, I give my body, but I'm not going to give my mind, I'm not going to give my soul. I will not be present while this guy does this thing to me. Right? That's the only way that a prostitute can get, get by, that she has to try to like, shut everything off, but actually touch, and she actually is going to be present, and be, uh, have attention and, and give attention to the other person. She, she's trying to rip all that part, stuff apart. She's actually ripping herself apart. But then in the most beautiful form, that when a husband and a wife have sex with one another, that 
It's very important. The touch is very important. And so that human touch, and you can start to see how profoundly important human touch is. And that human touch is actually a form of presence to the other person and of saying, this is how I know you. And now I know that if I touch you like this, that this will give you deep, not just pleasure physically, but that if I touch you this way, you will know that I know you, I love you, I bless you, I want to be with you. Now let me just say a little something about this because this is so important. I want to say a couple things. Number one, right, about this, like just a couple points. If, If you could be married... You know, a lot of people just think, I just want to get married so I can have sex. So that marriage is just sort of like kind of the bare minimum. And then now, you know, now we can do this. If that's the way you approach sex and that's the way you think of marriage, you were thinking of sex as like a bare legalistic kind of matter. So really you're saying, I I really want to have sex and then I got to get married and so then I, I get to have this pleasure. But if that's the way you approach your wife, she will feel that she is an object. And so you are touching her to use her. Yes, you're married, and so now to a certain extent it's legal, but you're actually still not really having sex the way God intended, right? You're still approaching it in an unholy fashion. You're still there to use her. But how you touch her, will you give your heart and attention to her, right? And so it's very important that... I'm speaking to the men here now, right? particularly to the men. It's very important, guys, that when you're married and how you look at your wife, that you understand that it's not just about the physical pleasure, the touch and how you touch her. It's all of it. All the foreplay and all the physical touching, all of that is part of it, not just the part that you want to get to. Right? Let me say something to the ladies a little bit, especially it just tends to... Um, when the husband wants to have sex, usually the man wants it more than the woman. Not always, okay? Usually the man wants it more than the woman. It's like, man, he's just an animal. He just wants it all the time, right? How, it's, 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 he's, just, he's just got a lot of hormones. And so she just, she, there's a lot of women who just think this is just physical pleasure, and he just wants physical pleasure, and then therefore I'm just going to be like, okay, we can have it. You know, Can we get it on with it? I'm tired. I want to go to sleep, right? No. Actually, this deeply fulfills an emotional and heart and soul need in him. There are so many men today, they don't know how to emote. They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to connect with their wife through talking and emotionally connecting. But you know how they, what, they, how they, what they long for? They don't even know how to say this. They don't even know how to express this. But sexual intimacy, this is the way that they will be met emotionally. And so, you know, most of the women in this room, at least for this particular service, you're single. One of these days you're going to be married. I want you to think about this. I want you to remember this. hope you remember this when you're married one day. That if your husband wants to have sex more often than you do, I want you to remember that he actually has profound emotional need as well. And this is the way you can meet him. And the importance of touch and attention. Um, One more point I want to talk about before I move on to the next implication. There are so many people in our society 
you know, that you, you all have, and I've talked about this, different love languages. Some of you, you know, if you, somebody gives you a gift, that's like, they'll just, ooh, I feel loved by this person. If somebody spends quality time with you, ooh, I feel loved by this person. Different people have different primary love languages. But some people have the primary love language of physical affection, the touch. Are you one of these people? Um, I actually, and those people are particularly prone and vulnerable to sexual attraction and the need for sexual intimacy. And this is true for men and women. And so there's a lot of people in our society that sexual attraction is just so, it's so powerful for them. And I particularly think about young girls, young girls who did not get hugged by their dads did not get enough physical affection. Those girls, and especially some of you guys are, are, um, are working with youth. If you, I want you to be on the lookout and care for these people, care for these young teenagers particularly. There, is, there are girls who need, long for, absolutely long for a certain kind of pure and good physical affection, particularly from their daddy. And if they don't get it, when they're 12, 13, 14, 15 and hit puberty, they'll be very, very vulnerable to a, a boy or a, a man who starts manipulating them with his words. He uses words to get into her body, and she longs for that type of attention. And when he begins to touch her, she will not be able to resist. And we, the Bible says that that is wrong. It is wrong, but there's also something deeply Profoundly broken in this thing because touch and attention and affection is so longing. There's such, such a profound longing. On the guy's side, the guys who are like this, they're particularly um, vulnerable toward ladies. And some of you ladies know guys that are like this, that you can manipulate them. If, the, if, if you just show enough skin and if you just show enough softness and if you touch this guy just enough, you can get him to do almost anything. And there's so many guys like this that are being manipulated by, by quite frankly, evil women, just like there are, there are women who are being bedded by evil men. Right? Because the touch is so important. But please, let us have mercy and compassion uh, and, uh, on such people. But at the same time, I call forth again, this, this is part of the dangers and the evils of our society, okay? So let me quickly, implications. Number one, not for selfish pleasure, but for self-giving. Not only for procreation, number two. Number three, involves the totality of the person. Number four, the importance of touch and of presence and of attention. Number five, the emotion, the communication, relational trust, forgiveness and reconciliation, they're all part of sex. And interesting, right? The emotion and communication and understanding. So this is particularly for you guys, right? If you are having a really bad time, you're not understanding your wife, you're not meeting your wife, you're not deeply meeting in her emotions, don't be surprised that she doesn't want to have sex with you because it's all connected, right? It's all connected. I've got a buddy from the East Coast every now and then, you know, when we're talking, and he's a, he's a good, he's a godly a friend of mine, and he has this little uh, way of checking on, the, on, on, my, on my marriage. He asks me, hey, are, are you and Grace, you know, doing it? <laughs> you know? And I say, um, and I just go, yep. 
she still wants me. <laughs> right? and, he, and he starts laughing. He goes, all right, then, I, then I'll, I'll just think that that's probably, your marriage is probably doing okay. And you know what? That's wise. Why? Because he has a biblical and wise understanding of marriage. So he uses sex as a kind of like shortcut to diagnose the health of the relationship between me and Grace. You know what? That's right. That's right. It's, all, it's, all, it's connected. One more before I go to the last part of my, my, my sermon. Sex is not optional. It goes back to what I said before. Right? Before marriage, no, no, no. After marriage, yes, yes, yes. Let me say this really bluntly so you can't miss it. If you are in a marriage that is very sex poor, in other words, is, having, is not having it very often, right? what's not very often? I'll, I'll say once a month. Huh? That's not often enough. If it's sex poor or sex dead, let me tell you, your marriage is subpar. Your marriage is dysfunctional. Now, I'm not talking about people who have, like, physical ailments or so forth. I mean, you have good reasons for that, right? You know, um, and, of course, every single month there's reasons why you have to refrain, all right? You know, the way God built it in. It's good. It's like it's good that men have to control themselves at least once a month, okay? But normally, normal situation, if you are in a sex-poor marriage, then your marriage is failing. Right? Sex is not optional. Sex is good. God is like, go. A pastor I once heard said that when he saw Adam and Eve naked there and, then he, and he watched them having sex, God was like, that's good. He was pleased. He was happy. When a husband and wife truly begins to do all these things, God is pleased. He's happy. And when a husband and wife can't do this, and they, because they're, they're, so much of their marriage is, is uh, broken, then then God is displeased and God is sad. And think about what it takes for a husband and wife to have sex on a regular basis and it be good, how much other other humility and forgiveness and understanding and effort it must take for the husband and wife to give attention and love and trust to one another so that, you know, if you want to have a good um, sex life, actually, you, you, you need to have a good life. And so... I would actually recommend you regularly, husbands and wives, you regularly make this a priority. And then it will actually sow health into other parts of your marriage as well. Now let me get to the close of my message. The transforming power of Jesus for holy sex. Now look, I'm not, I'm not naive, right? The only reason I'm, having this, I'm, I'm giving this message is because I'm not naive and I know... I know this is not easy. And let me, let me, let me let you in on a little secret, all you single people. The day you get married and then, you know, on, you know, that night, don't expect to have the best sex in the world, okay? You probably won't have great sex. And if you think you had great sex, probably it's because you're just physically doing it and maybe because you felt like you were good at it from having sinned, having had sex prior, prior to it. But the fact is, the really great sex doesn't happen at the beginning of marriage. Right? It actually happens going on. A lot of people, their marriage life, their sex life dies after having that excitement at the beginning of it. Do you know why? And then, and then they start to have less and less of it. But actually, biblically, the sex life should actually get better and better and better and better. Right? Because it's getting 
purer and holier. And it's being full of all these things that I'm talking about. And the only way this can happen is you can begin to repent and the Lord begins to wash you of your selfishness, of your pride, and all your lusts, and you can begin to look at your husband and wife anew in this kind of way. And let me close with the story. Um, I talked about them before, I think, when I gave this series two, two and a half years or so. When we were at our old church, Grace and I, we, we heard a testimony from an older couple, and they're named Bill and B.B. Holland. Um, they, they look like they're in their 60s or so, and they gave a testimony about their life. And, and it was during a marriage you know, class that we were taking, and, and, it got to the, and then we got to the two weeks on sex, and they gave a testimony about their life. And their testimony was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Um, I, I can't get into all the testimony. I wish you could, uh, you could hear it yourself, but let me just tell you a couple things about them. Bill and B.B. Holland got married when they were not Christians. It was really interesting because um, Bill went to a Christian fellowship to, uh, to pick up girls. <laughs> and she was going to a Christian fellowship because she was going to church. She thought she was a Christian at that time, but she really actually wasn't. She hadn't actually given her life to Jesus yet. Um, but then he met this girl. He was sweet on her. They fell in love. And then they had a whirlwind romance, and then they got married. Their marriage was totally dysfunctional and terrible, right? He came from a family where, you know, where they would fight and just let all their emotions out. And she came from a family that was all repressed and they would never fight and they would never resolve anything. Right? And so she was very conflict avoidance and he was totally confrontational. And, you know, you put that mixed together and it's, it's a disaster. That's what it was like. And at, so, at a certain point, she got so miserable. One day she, she started going to church because they had stopped going to church. Because he wasn't a Christian. He didn't care about church. And then she stopped going to church too. So then she started going to church. And then she finally heard the gospel and she got saved. But then her marriage was still so miserable that at one point she wanted to get out. And she actually went to her pastor and said, if I stay with this man, I will die because I'm dying inside. And he finally said, okay, you could get divorced. That's a bad pastor, by the way. And I was thinking, oh, he didn't do his job. He didn't. She left the pastor's office and she's like, good, the pastor gave me permission to get out of this thing. So she was happy for about an hour. But then by the time she got home, she had a different voice in her mind and she just knew that was the Holy Spirit. She just knew that was wrong. So she said, okay, Lord, is this really from you? If this is really from you, I'll stay with him. But if I do, that means I'll just die inside. But, you know, I've been living my life on my own. And it's been, I've been wrecking it. So I'll do it your way, even though it means I'll die inside. So she died to herself, obeyed Jesus. You know what happened that week? That week, Bill got saved. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? That week, Bill got saved. Bill had a foul mouth. He used to drink. Bill would actually even walk into doctor's office and steal things. That's what this kind of guy was. Bill would like go to a dentist's office and go, you know what, I need a lamp at home. Right? He would see a lamp in the corner. He'd have his dentist appointment. And then he would come out. And then when the, when the, uh, you know, the receptionist was on, he'd just pick up the lamp and walk out. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was. He had a foul mouth. He would steal things. He had a huge temper. And he had a porn habit. 
And after Bill got saved, he said, the profanity went out the window. I stopped stealing things. In fact, he goes, I actually started doing weird things. I'd, I'd go back to like the dentist's office where I stole the lamp, and then I'd leave like, I'd leave money. <laughs> I'd leave money there. I mean, isn't that weird? This is what people deal with. They get saved, right? And he goes, and my temper. The Lord helped me start to control my temper. I would feel myself flaring up in anger. And then, and then so he, he tells, they told this story that he would feel himself flaring up at his children in anger. And he would say, he's about to start screaming at his kid. And he's like, hold on. I'll be back in 10 minutes. <laughs> and he would run off to his room and he'd get on his knees like, oh, I need you, Jesus. <laughs> and, and the Lord would dissipate his anger. And then he would come out and then he could teach and reprimand his children out of humility. But the profanity was gone, the stealing was gone, the anger was in control, but the porn wasn't. He could not stop this thing. And and BB every now and then would find, and this was pre-internet. This is pre-internet days. Can you imagine how bad it must be today? In the pre-internet, she would go and she would be cleaning the house and then she would find how he, his hiding places where he would have his porn magazines. And she would find that she'd get so upset, she'd get angry and hurt and all this kind of stuff. And there was one point she was like, he's never going to get over this. And she said, she was once praying about them, and she was just so, and, this, and he, had, he had promised, I'm so sorry, I'm not going to do this, I'm so sorry, I'm not going to do this. And finally, she was praying about this, and then she said she heard, she just sensed that the Lord was saying, he's not your enemy. The Holy Spirit gave this message, he's not your enemy. And she realized, whoa. And this is the way she put it. I still remember the picture of her, the way she said it. She said, when we were struggling with this thing, I felt like it was him versus me. We were like this. But I realized it's him and he's crumbling and he's falling. And what I need to do is come alongside of him like this. Come alongside of him like this. That's why God made me for him. And she came alongside of her man. And through that, then he started having power to be able to resist that power over pornography. And then he started to have victory over this. And then they would, they started to have this beautiful, they, they actually share about this two young couples in their church. Can you imagine? I would love for there to be an older couple like this in our church. They share about this to young couples in their church. And apparently in their church, it's so well known now that Saturday morning is an important time for the Hollands. You're not supposed to call the Hollands because they're busy. <laughs> right? They're, Saturday morning, this is what we, you know, we, we, are, we got important things to do. So don't be calling us on Saturday morning because we're, we are loving each other. And brothers and sisters, you know, um, and I, I, I've shared, I've, I've struggled with porn in the past too. I firsthand know what this is like when my wife comes alongside of me. And I firsthand know what it's like when the gospel comes into our life and we begin to obey the Bible and Jesus comes in and my wife comes alongside of me and we have union like, like this. And, you know, Grace and I, I don't, I'm not trying to brag or say anything, but we have a good sex life, right? And, um, you know, 
I feel sorry for all the people who stop having sex in the first couple of years of marriage or whatever. And I, I, thought, I thought it was good like five years ago. <laughs> it's, just, it's incredible. I think when God is in it, when God is in it, okay? Let's go to the table of Jesus. Let's pray.